and uh, we'll get queued up at Proverbs 18. Thank you. And um, uh, but before we do that, uh, you know, you've been watching the news and uh, you've seen the atrocities and the things that have gone on. And uh, to a small country like that, that's like um, 9-11 times 10 or 15 or 20 or something like that. And it's just horrible and horrific to see what what has gone on. And uh, uh, so we join them in prayer. And uh, some people have asked me and, you know, what does it mean prophetically? And uh, we're not going to do a, a prophetic uh, teaching tonight, but uh, most of you know that in Ezekiel 38 and 39, there's a war that Ezekiel prophesies about. Not exactly sure, probably right at the beginning of the tribulation period, but you know, scholars differ on that a little bit. And it's called the War of Gog and Magog, and it's. Uh, Somebody, a nation or a confederation of nations attacking Israel in the last days, it says, or the latter days. And um, as we've taught and thought through this a, a couple times here, you know, it appears to be uh, from the north, the main actor is, appears to be uh, a country, you know, such as Russia, aided by other countries such as Iran and others. And people have asked me over the last couple of days, well, do you think this is the war of Gog and Magog heating up? I'm, I'm not so sure about that. And the reason I'm not sure about that is, one, in the war of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38, the, the people that uh, Israel's fighting against are nations. And as you know and uh, know well, it's not really a nation that Israel's fighting against right now. It's a terrorist group. That's sort of different. The other reason I think it's probably not, although, you know, I'm just giving you my thoughts as I look through it, is when that war happens, you don't see anybody coming to the defense of Israel and God does it all by himself, <laughs> which God can do, right? And you can go and read through that, Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39. And you know, you can have your thoughts about our current administration, and I certainly have thoughts about that as well, but praise the Lord that we sent a carrier, I think a carrier, might be a destroyer, over there. We've sent it over to the area so that people will back down and stand pat and not continue their attacks. And praise the Lord for that. I'm glad that the United States has done that. And I'm glad that the United States has said that this is terrorism, not retaliation, anything like that. They've come out and said it's terrorism. And so in the book of Ezekiel, you don't really see anybody coming to the aid of Israel in the war of Gog and Magog. And praise the Lord that we and some others have stood up and said this is wrong and it's not good. But that being said... Folks, the same actors keep rearing their ugly head. And, you know, a couple days ago, the leader of Russia said, whoever the United States sides with, we're going to side with the other. And we're going to set ourselves up against the other. And uh, I was listening to an uh, Israeli military expert today and the way in which the bombs got in there to bomb people were through drones. And according to Israeli military, Hamas didn't have drones that dropped bombs. So they had to come from somewhere, and that somewhere is the country up north, Russia and Iran. And so while I'm not so certain and wouldn't ever claim to be anyway because the Lord would make it perfectly clear whether or not this is Ezekiel 38 coming to fruition right now, I can certainly say with surety and certainty that the actors are revving up and have been revved up. And the sort of the stage is set for that war, of course, 
and is getting set. And so I think that, and uh, we believe here, that the time is right now that there is nothing else for the Lord to do or for anything to happen for the Lord to come back and meet His church in the clouds, to set off that period of tribulation in which God pours out His wrath on a Christ-rejecting world and do business, so to speak, with the nation of Israel. And so I think it's at the door. And uh, when I think that, uh, don't you think that? Uh, when I think that, and that comes to my heart and my mind, I think, well, I don't want to waste any time. I want to share and tell people about Jesus and pray for them and pray for our enemies and love people and, uh, you know, to use an athletic phrase, sort of just lay it all out there until the Lord comes. Just with everything we have by His power and by His Spirit, share and love and minister in Jesus' name. And so as we even move into Proverbs, I mean, that's sort of in the back of my mind for this whole day as we see what's going on over there. So let's keep them in prayer. Let's be people who would uh, seek to help in any way we can and uh, pray about it and think how in the world could we impact uh, a country that we love who's sort of isolated over there and by themselves. Let's not let them be by themselves. So uh, anyway, that's what we want to say about Israel and the situation that's going over there. Well, we've been talking uh, as we shift to Proverbs about uh, uh, the Proverbs and wanting to be wise people and not foolish. I mean, who here wants to be foolish? Raise your hand. Right, nobody wants to be foolish. And James uh, and the New Testament talks about uh, wisdom that's from above, certainly, uh, that's, you know, righteous and joyful and peaceful, a, a, a wisdom. And then he talks about a worldly wisdom that's sensual and demonic and uh, after its own self or for self. And, uh, and so we've been looking at uh, the Proverbs and the wisdom. And, you know, one of the things that strikes me about wisdom don't go to sleep here, is that you have to work with the Lord uh, to attain wisdom. And the beginning place that you start is that you fear the Lord, that you live in reverential law, uh, awe of the Lord. That's your life. Your life is a love response to all that God has done. You begin to learn who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, and what He's going to do in the future, and you respond to that. The Gospel calls for a response. You can't, we can't just sit out here or sit at home and just, you know, spill out platitudes and some nice little things. God calls for a response. And the response is He wants your life, our lives, to give it back to Him. We sang about it tonight. Give it back to Him in praise. Lord, anything you need or want from me, that's what I want to be and do. I just want to be where you want me to be, Lord. And wisdom is that. That's where you begin. It's the stepping stone. It's the foundation that you live in reverential awe and devotion to the Lord, but not because you conjure up some sort of feelings about the Lord, but you're responding to His goodness, right? and His grace and His mercy. And that's where we begin with wisdom. And so we've been looking, and it's interesting, because every time you get to a new chapter of Proverbs, you sort of scratch your head and you say, why does He jump around so much? Why doesn't He put it into some sort of logical... Okay, there's a lot of uh, uh, information here about what comes out of your mouth. Why doesn't he put it all in one chapter? Why is it in every chapter? And there's a lot of information in here, uh, scripture here about uh, being lazy versus being a hard worker. Why doesn't he just put that in sort of a logical one chapter 
uh, thing so that I can grasp onto it. Well, first of all, it's the glory of a king to search out a matter. It's good when you search. But the other part about this is the Lord in his infinite wisdom put together Proverbs into 31 chapters, one for each day. And every day you're going to come and you're going to navigate life according to God's wisdom. And you're not just always going to have one topic that you're going to be dealing with during the day. I mean, just think about today's day and all the different things that you did today. And you needed wisdom. You might have been tempted to be short with somebody. You might have uh, you didn't know which way to go in a line or what, what, if you were in the airport, what, do I go that wing or that wing? Well, you didn't know maybe something at work and you needed wisdom. And what's interesting about Proverbs is each chapter sort of gives you a little bit of everything so that every day as you're studying and reading this, God can impart to you wisdom that you need for the day. It's so graceful and, uh, uh, it's so giving and it's so wonderful that the Lord would do it that way. Well, here we get to 18 and we get to a place. I love to talk about 18 chapter, verse 1 and 18 verse 24. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. And so this is in the Hebrew very hard to put together. Here are some of the different interpretations. I know of three. One is if a person wants to improve himself, like for instance, if you wanted to know the Bible, like you, you said on January 1st, I really want to know the Bible. Well, you wouldn't wait till December 30th and start. Amen. What you would do is you would start to put away the things that are hindering you from reading the Bible, knowing the Bible, knowing the Lord of the Bible, and you would start on January 1st and you'd do a, just a little bit at a time. And when you got to December 31st, whoa! And that's sort of some people believe what this scripture is talking about. It's a good thing to isolate yourself, to seek your own desire, if your desire it matches up with the Lord's desire. That's sort of what some people believe this says. Other people think this means I want to do my own thing. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. And so nothing's going to stop me from doing my own thing. I don't care what anybody else thinks about what I'm doing. I have this selfish desire and uh, uh, I'm going to do it. And you, you see that in the world, of course. And the problem with that is that that sort of desire keeps wisdom sort of at bay. <laughs> That's a foolish thing to do, is what some people believe that um, uh, Scripture is talking about. But, you know, because of the last verse, this is real revolutionary stuff right here that Solomon's laying down by the Holy Spirit. I've had people come to me and say, you know, I just don't have any friends in the church or wherever. I don't have any friends. And this is sort of hard to say sometimes, but the Bible says it, so I guess I'm going to say it. In order to have friends, you got to be a friend. You can't just sit back there in the corner and listen. I understand. There's some people who are introverts. There's no sin in being an introvert. That's fine. But if you want to be a friend in your introverted way, and I'm not making fun, you've got to be friendly to other people too. I mean, you can't just sit back in the corner and say, nobody's paying attention to me. Well, right. I mean, you got to be friendly. <laughs> I mean, and that's not me saying it, that's the Bible saying it. And when you go over to 18 verse 1, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. The third view of what this means is that you're being selfish when you isolate yourself. Ooh, now that came home to some of us. How could you be selfish when you isolate yourself? You just don't want to be around people. Well, here's what it is. You like yourself so much 
that you don't want to be disliked, which means you make yourself an idol. Ooh, that's hard to say. But that's what some people, and I'm one of them, believe that verse is saying there. And so, what does God call us to do and be in the New Testament? He calls us to be people who one another, one another, love, encourage, bless, confess, edify, and many more probably, but I'm just doing them from memory. But in order to one another, one another, you have to be around one another and like one another or be friends with one another. And in order to be friends, you got to be friendly. Now, some of you are like looking at your nails like, hey, I got lots of friends, so I don't need to hear this. But let's help. Let's bring people alongside of others so that we're not having isolated people here. Now, I know some of us like to be isolated. <laughs> but I mean... Think about what the Lord is calling us to do. You don't have to be the Billy Graham and the 100,000 in the TV and the spotlight on you, but you can go get somebody a cup of coffee and sit with them and ask them how they're doing. And not just talk about yourself all the time. Just sincerely take a great interest in another. That's being friendly. You could call, pick up the phone and call somebody and say, you know, the Lord just put me on your heart today, and I just wanted to do if I could call you and pray for you. That's being friendly. Or you could smile. <laughs> That's being friendly. And so the Lord puts that in here because He knows that we're the body of Christ and He wants us to love one another and be tight-knit. And of course, He can do it. Well, how about this? A fool has no delight in understanding. But here's what a fool does. He wants to vent. That's what the word means in the Hebrew. He wants to express his own Heart. You know what's interesting about that? Remember when uh, uh, Noah uncovered his own nakedness? Genesis 9, verse 21. It's the same phrase. When you vent, you show people who you really are. Uh, so, let me, let me just tell you this. Anybody here from Tennessee? Well, I can't stand Tennessee football. I can't stand their uniforms. I can't stand their team. I want them to lose every single game. This is really bad. <laughs> and when I was in coaching in uh, the University of Hawaii, I was at a uh, I was at a coaches conference in Orlando, and I was trying to get a job with Walt Harris. Anybody heard of Walt Harris? I knew Walt Harris. He was very kind to me, very nice to me. He used to coach Pitt's football team, and I wanted to move from Hawaii to Pitt. And so I'm chatting up Walt Harris, and along comes the coach from Tennessee. You ever seen the coach from Tennessee? His name's Phil Fulmer. Well, let's just say this. He's got a big backside. And he went, boom, and he knocked me out of the way, and he started talking to Walt Harris. And you, you ever had, and Phil, so anyway, this guy, <laughs> you ever been with somebody and you're shaking their hands and they're looking somewhere else. This reminds me of this verse right here. You know, you know the one that says, hey, how you doing? But they're looking over here because they want to see who the next most important person is. Because they want to go over there and vent some more. Sort of like Tennessee football. It's a joke. But you ever, you ever done that? You ever had somebody? I mean, that's a real drag, isn't it? You're trying to just say, yeah, I'm doing great, or I got a cold, or I didn't get a bonus this year, and they're looking and they're off. That's sort of what this reminds me of. People just want to vent and talk and express themselves and show people how big and tough and wonderful they are, and they have no regard for the other. And the Bible says that a fool expresses his own heart. He just vents. He uncovers or she uncovers uh, they uncover their own nakedness. Like They just reveal who they are when they vent like that. And listen, the Bible tells us when we come to church to be real. How you doing? Oh, I'm great. You know, your dog died, you got fired, da-da-da-da, and you're saying, oh, I'm great. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I'm not doing so great tonight. Could you pray for me? There's nothing wrong with that. You're just being real. You're not complaining. You're just telling the truth, Right? 
But in order to do that sort of thing, people have to listen to one another and to ask about other people. You want to, you, hey, listen, time out. Who here wants to move into, that you would just like to find a way to plug in and minister? Raise your hand if you would like to find a way. Nobody. Oh, that's just great. But you do. I know you do. You want me to tell you how to plug in and minister? Full proof. Full proof. This is what I tell the guys in the school of ministry. They say, how can I help you? Here's what I say. Come early to church and ask somebody how they're doing. And really mean it. And minister to them and pray for them. Come here at the donut time. You know people will be here at donut time. And shake them in the, or shake their hand, look them in the eye, smile, be warm, and say, how are you doing? And ask them really. And then don't talk about the Cubs or the Pirates or the Penguins who lost last night after leading after the second quarter. Don't talk about that. Talk about them and see how they're doing and pray for them and encourage them and edify them. You want to see how to do ministry? Just come at a quarter till ten. It's not that profound, really. And yet, we struggle with it sometimes. And you don't have to talk about yourself all the time. Of course, if you're not feeling well, could you pray for me? I'm not feeling well. Yes. But you know the person that just won right after that story after story after story about yourself. It's like, I'm, you know, it's like war and peace in 15 minutes down there. That's venting. Talk about somebody else once in a while. You get it? I mean, that's ministry. And the Lord is so wise here uh, to put this in here. Don't express your own heart all the time. Of course, sometimes in appropriate times. But when the wicked comes, verse 3, contempt comes also. You know what sin leads, sin leads to? Disgrace. That's what this is saying. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also. Outward shame. If you continue in sin, if I continue in sin, if we continue in sin and wickedness, and you think nobody's around and nobody's going to know, listen, the Bible says eventually it's going, you're going to come to guilt and shame. And may I add, sin kills. So we know that. And with dishonor comes reproach. Don't ever forget. You know it. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And that's a principle of the Lord's that will never fail. Galatians chapter 6. And then we move on to this. And I'm so convicted about this because I tell you this all the time, but this is true. Gary Chapman said there's four love languages. Well, he missed one. And it was at my house. And that's sarcasm. And I'm not kidding around. I, my, my whole life was built on sarcasm. That's how my family told each other they loved one another. If they teased you and was sarcastic and all that sort of thing. And then I get to a verse like this and I'm like, oh man, oh man. The words, can it say woman's, are the words of a man's mouth a joke, are deep waters, are deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. If you'll participate with the Lord and live in fear and reverence, and then you start to apply yourself like this, I mean, you're, you're working and you're doing and you're, you're seeking and you're seeking the Lord's face and you're praying out of just this glorious response to the God who loves you and you're walking with God and you're talking with God and you're letting Him tell you that He's your own. Don't glaze over. I know I say this every week, but if you're doing that, you see, you're going to become wise and the Lord is going to develop something deep in you. And in fact, it's no longer you who's going to be living. It's Christ crucified in you. Which means when Christ crucified's in you, by the way, last couple verses... You won't talk about yourself all the time. <laughs> because you're dying to self to allow Jesus to live in you. Jesus cares about other people. And you're going to, as you talk 
and care for people and minister to people and counsel to people. It's going to be deep, man. You get it? I mean, in one respect, don't, don't be too stressed out about this, but it's sort of this amazing, wonderful opportunity and responsibility that the Lord gives us to encourage one another, to edify one another, to build one another up. But see, we can do the opposite with this. And what is coming out of this is really coming out of this heart. So as the Lord builds you up and you're spending time with Him and He's molding and shaping you as the potter would the clay, what comes out of your mouth becomes really deep and really refreshing and really gives satisfaction to spiritually thirsty people. They come around and they're dry and wrinkled and beat up and worn out. And you come around and there's something about you because you've been with the Lord or the body of Christ because we've been with the Lord. And, and, And you say something right. Hug them. Cry with them. Love them. And it's deep. Guys, you don't have to write books, sell CDs. You want to really minister, get down in the muck and the mire with people where they are and love them and speak to them in a kind and encouraging and truthful way and give them the truth. There's a depth there and a refreshing and it's a wellspring. A wisdom is a flowing brook. And I... Think about this because one of my favorite things of the Bible, one of my favorite themes is that Jesus is the voice or has the voice of many waters. I mean, Jesus could be a hurricane to some, but a stream for your soul to others who need it, right? And see, when Jesus lives in you, you could be deep water or a brook. Man, what a privilege it is to be used by the Lord. And you go on and it says it's not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. The Bible tells us, you know, when somebody comes into your fellowship, you know, don't look at the rings on their finger and the clothes that they wear and go over there and sit with them because, you know, they must be from, you know, the right side of town or whatever. Who did Jesus look for? The lost and the hurting and the broken. And that's what Solomon was coming to find out and trying to teach his children here in 18. Six, a fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for blows. And this fool's mouth is his, or fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Fools just are blowhard. Just talk and talk and talk, and they want to fight and argue. And I don't know if you remember this, but do do you remember in Second Kings, I believe it was, when the young men were taunting Elisha? making fun of him, what happened? Well, that's a big picture, or a great picture. The bears came and ate him. Ooh. (laughs) And that's sort of what happened. A fool's mouth is going to, it's going to lead to your destruction. Your lips are the, the trap of your soul. And then how about this? I mean, words are important, folks. If we didn't listen to anything else tonight, man, I wanted us to learn verse 8. Man, would I want us to learn verse 8, starting with me. And that's this. The words of a talebearer. What's a talebearer? One who bears tales, tells tales. A gossip. 
One who's a gossip. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. Oh, man, you know what? I love it when these guys, Libby, Jan, when they make brownies. I'll sneak in there when they're not looking, and I'll dig it out of the corner, and I will eat those brownies. I'm telling you, I don't care if I haven't eaten yet, I'll eat them. If I have eaten, I'll still eat them. But what happens is you get that, there's this special cup that I get. And it just holds the milk perfectly cold. And you just devour that brownie and you put that milk in there. And there, there's nothing better than that. Man. But what's weird about it is I'll go away and I'm so stuffed and full. And about three minutes later, I'm like, you know what? Could I just get one more brownie? And the, other, the point of my story here is I can't resist them. Now go back to the verse. Because it says that for some, listen to this, and for a lot of people, have you ever asked yourself why this is? Ask yourself why this is. The words of a talebearer, or gossip, are like tasty trifles. They're like the brownies. You can't resist it. You're at the soccer game. You're at the hockey game. Did you hear about the pastor at Calvary Chapel, Pittsburgh? Ooh. And your ears have perked up and you're, and you're on fire and you want to know. Now you gotta know. You ever said this? You brought it up. You gotta tell me now. You can't resist. The tailbearer can't resist. The problem is, These things, these gossips, these sentences, they go down into the inmost body. These things kill. Look at these two uh, quotes on Proverbs 18.8, if we can have them up there. I think I have it. Yeah. This one is by a guy named Trapp, and he says, He that takes away a man's good name kills him alive and ruins him in his posterity, being herein worse than Cain. For he, in killing his brother, made him live forever and eternalized his name. How about this one uh, by Bridges, Jerry Bridges? The words of a gossip talebearer in an unguarded moment may inflict irreparable injury. This evil may be welcomed in certain circles that thrive on scandal, but that that does not alter the real character of a gossip who is detested by both God and man. And I'll tell you what, being a talebearer as the person who's being the talebearer, listen, listen, and we all have done it. Right? We've all done it. What are we doing when we tell tales? We're elevating ourselves as if the other person is lower than us. We're trying to make ourselves feel better. Did you hear what the pastor did? I'd never do that. Or whatever. And to the person who is having the tale told about them, you're creating an image in the people who are listening's head that's not accurate and true i gotta tell you we're gonna see this here in a minute i have i'm not the smartest person in the world by far and i just (laughs) how i got through law school is a, a minor miracle right but if i've learned one thing in law in practicing law over the last 25 or whatever years it's this You better always, 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 always listen to the other side of the story. You know, your client comes in and he tells you the facts and you're like, man, we're going to win. Then you call the other lawyer on the phone and say, yeah, I'm on the case. And the lawyer gives you his spiel and you start going, "Uh uh-oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) You never know the real story until you hear the other side of the story. Because truth often is somewhere in between. And so I would just caution us. What do you do when you have a friend and you're at the soccer game and they're starting to tell tales? 
What do you do? Turn the conversation. Say, how could we pray for Mary or Gertrude or whatever her name is, or Jimmy, whatever the person name they're talking about. How could we pray for him? Let's not talk about it. How could we pray for him? Or if that won't work, just leave. But don't participate. Man, it's all through uh, the Proverbs. And of course, this one, he who is slothful, verse 9 in his work, is a brother to him who is a great destroyer, the one who steals. I mean, look, look, if you're slothful at work, you're stealing. You know that, right? If you're slothful at work, you're cheating your boss or your company out of what they're paying you, so don't be slothful. In fact, make it worship. Worship unto the Lord and work hard at, at your job and have everybody uh, be able to count on you and be responsible. And when they ask you why you're such a responsible employee, say this. You really want to know why I'm a responsible employee? And if they say, yeah, say, okay, I'm going to tell you. You said I could tell you, right? Yeah, I can tell you. Because I'm worshiping the Lord in my work. But don't be slothful or you're stealing. And then this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Who here feels frightened sometimes? Frightened. Who here is sometimes a scaredy cat? I'm putting my hands up here. I'm saying me. How about sometimes have you ever said, I wish I was just tucked away somewhere, cozy, away from the world? Yeah, right? You get on Instagram, you look at those cabins. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But here it says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and that the righteous run to it and are safe. So you got to know something. You got to know the name of the Lord. Yell out a couple things that you would say is the name of the Lord. If I asked you this on a test, what would you say? Yahweh. What would you say? Jesus. Almighty. What else? Elohim. Ooh, I'm, they're coming so fast now I can't hear. What'd you? Got it. Good. And I'm thinking too that you go back to Exodus. And you all know this story, but go back to Exodus, calling upon the name of the Lord. And you go to Exodus 34. And you know, beforehand, uh, I think it's so funny when you read the interplay between God and Moses. It's like, it's so funny. You know, Moses, I want you to lead the nation. Moses said, hold on, I, I'm a terrible speaker. He says, oh, don't worry about that. I'm going to give you your big brother. Your big brother will talk for you and be good. Yeah, that's all well and good, but... I have no idea what to call you. And God says, say that I am. Jesus, by the way, in the book of John, is fills in all the I am statements, but God Himself does it in chapter 34 of the book of Exodus. In verse 5, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Him there, Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, here it is. And when you pick through this and study it, you go, wait a second, that's where I want to run. First of all, guys, gals, according to the Bible, do you know this, that we're all inherently sinful? A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people say, oh, you know, I'm a good person, and I know what they're sort of getting at, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says without Christ in your life, you have a heart that is deceptively wicked. Who could know it? And the Bible says that the soul that sins, this is the alliteration, and I sometimes screw this up. The soul that sins shall surely die. There we go. <laughs> that's tough for me. Your heart is deceptive. We're all like sheep that have gone astray. Amen? You with me? So you go back here and you go, okay, 
If the Bible tells me I'm in, my heart is wicked, and then the wages of sin, the thing that I get for being a sinner is death, spiritual death. I'm toast. And without this next word, all of us would be toast right now. Because the Lord said to Moses, the Lord God, that's who I am. And he said, I'm merciful. And I don't want us ever to stop wandering, wandering, being in wonder and awe of God who is mercy. Don't, don't just say it like Christianese. Wipe away Christianese. That's vanity. It's nothingness when we just throw around terms. But when we use the term and we know what the term means, God withholding from us what we deserve. Who? You see, I want to run to that or to him. He's a strong tower because why? He's merciful. You're going to find protection there because I got news for you. You should be toast. I should be toast. When I think of the things I did, ooh, I should be toast. And maybe you think that way too. Maybe you know those things too. And you come back and you realize that He withholds what you deserve. Ooh, man. Merciful. That's where I want to run, to mercy, God's mercy. I want to run and proclaim at his high tower that he is the Lord because he is gracious. He gives to me what I don't deserve. How long suffering was the Lord with me? How long suffering was the Lord with you? He spoke to you. He gave you the gospel. You gave your life to Christ. You surrendered your life to Christ. But you went down every other road. I went down every other road. And here's the Lord just, hmm. You think you might want to come back this road? Long suffering. Oh man, just to think about how, how much he was patient with me. And, uh, he abounded in good, or he abounds in goodness, and he abounds in truth. You know, I think Americans, Christians, I think we're fooling ourselves half the time. We grow up in a country where we don't keep score at a baseball game. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm just going to be honest. How in the world do you not teach your kid that when you get beat, go over and shake their hands and say, you did a great job. And I'm going to work harder and I'm going to try to beat you next time, but you did great. How in the world do we not have score in baseball or football or anything? Why? Because we're going to hurt somebody's feelings? We coddle everybody. And no one learns how to pick themselves up and keep going again. Nobody. Not now. We're too afraid of hurting people's feelings. Are you kidding me? That's part of life. One of the things you're doing as a parent for 18 years is helping your kids get up off the ground and keep going. And sometimes you got to tell your kid the truth. That's what I'm getting at. You know, you screwed around... From Monday through Thursday, you wanted to win the game, but you didn't do anything. I mean, you probably say it nicer than I'm saying it now, but <laughs> when I talk sports, then we're in trouble. Right? If you want to, if you want to improve and try and be better at it, well, maybe you ought to go out and dribble a little bit instead of, you know, eating potato chips all week or whatever, right? You understand what I'm saying? And God is truth in the best truthful way. And that's what's great about the Bible. You read the Bible and you learn who God is, but here's the other part. God tells you who you are. That's what the Bible says. And God is truthful to you. He's lovingly truthful. He's patient and loving, but He tells you the truth. And you know that feeling, that great feeling of conviction, not condemnation, conviction where you know God, you're exactly right. I was wrong. See, being truthful. God's truthful. Isn't that great? And of course, He's truthful with all of our spiritual things, first and foremost. And He forms and He's growing us into the uh, image of His Son. 
and he wants to be truthful, and he keeps mercy for thousands. He forgives iniquities, transgressions, sin, and he doesn't clear the guilty, and he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, etc., to the third and fourth generation. Now go back to chapter 18. We're righteous people. You know that? If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you don't say, am I righteous or not? You say on your knees, praise the Lord. I'm righteous. And here's why I'm righteous, because he gave me his righteousness. And we as righteous people, we run to the Lord to call upon his name. We go to that place that's the strong tower. It's safe and it's secure. But it's a tower because of the the war that we're in. We run to it and it's safe. Now, the rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. And before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. Of course, you know that verse. Pride leads to destruction. And before honor is humility. Man, one of the prayers you could pray right here tonight or write out for your prayers for you and your kids. Help us to be humble, not haughty. And help us to be teachable. And you know Jesus was humble. You could look it up in Isaiah 52, and you could look it up in Philippians 2. And he who answers a matter before he hears it, hey, this is great marriage advice. And Jan would tell you that I'm perfect at this one. I'm kidding. That's what what she starts to tell me something, and I'm like, well, let's do... And she's like, can you just listen? And you know that. He who answers matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. It just leads nowhere good. you got to listen to people. You want to minister to people? Come at a quarter till ten and listen to people. And listen to their hurts and their struggles and their failures. And then pray for them and love them right here. The spirit of man will sustain him in sickness. But who can bear a broken spirit when hope is lost? That's tough. The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. That's what we're after if we revere the Lord. And a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Speaking sort of in a naturalistic, carnal way, he's just being real. He's saying, when you give gifts to people, it brings you before great men. That's how you get in front of them. Ah, the greatest gift of all, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And you know that the Bible says that salvation is a free gift, the greatest gift of all. And that will bring you before men. Jesus told us that, that if we were worried about, you know, as we're moving out and we're sharing and we're loving, uh, uh, you're going to be before councils and, you know, highfalutin people, but he'll give us by the spirit the things to say. And that's sort of talking about that. And as we keep going and close. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. That's being a lawyer. Always listen to the other side. You know, if somebody comes to you and they start spouting off about a person, say, you know what? You know what we need to do? We need to talk to the other person. Don't just go with it. It's half the story. And that's what the uh, proverb is saying. Uh, The first one pleads his cause, seems right until his neighbor comes. Then casting lot causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. As much as it's up to us, folks, as much as it's up to us, as much as it's up to us, listen, live in peace with all men. As much as it's up to us. That's what the Bible says. You can't control how people react to some of the things that you're doing or saying. But as much as you can, live in peace with all men. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. So fill it with good things, not bad things. And death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we've talked about this on a million occasions. Just raise your hand if you had somebody say something to you 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Don't raise your hand, but just remember it and just stop. And you had a tough time shaking it because they said it and it stuck in there and they might not ever even thought about it ever again. There's power in the tongue. Not in some weird um, uh, 
prosperity, gospel type of way, but man, the things we say matter, and Jesus said that. That we'd give an account for the things that we say. Whoa, amazing. And he who finds a good wife, or a wife, excuse me, it doesn't say that. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Yes, of course. We read that in the book of Genesis. But also, too, if you're single out here, don't be downcast because it says, you know, the marriage thing right there. Be happy because the Lord in this season is saying to you, you have put off every hindrance to serving Him with a, 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 a blaze, with an abandon that people who are married can't do. Go and serve the Lord in this time. So don't feel bad about that. But it is good to be married and obtain favor from the Lord. But being single is good as well. They're not mutually exclusive. And the poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. In other words, poor people beg for favor and justice. That's what he's saying. But the rich, they answer in a rough way. And a man who finds friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let me close with this as we move uh, over to John chapter 15. If you want to turn there with me, you all know this, but I think it's good to see it with your own eyes. When you get to John chapter 15, let's look at verse 14. Uh, I can't find verse 14, but here it is. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You believe that. And what's cool about this is once you become a Christian, you want to do the things He commands you because you understand how good He is and how He has you uh, in uh, your best interest at mind. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I mean, come on, folks. He calls his followers his friends. What a humbling thing to hear from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we come to you this evening with heavy hearts for Israel. And we don't want to forget to lift them up again to you and ask you, Lord, that you would bless them in a mighty way, that you would heal and bring justice and put things right. And Lord, even as we've been going through the Proverbs here, help us to be wise people. What does it mean? To navigate, Lord, uh, the things that come at us during the day, but not in a worldly way, but in a godly way. Your way. (laughs) And so help us as we live in fear and respect and awe of You, as we give our lives back to You, that You would make us wise people. Gentle as doves, but wise as serpents. And thank you as we expect that you're going to do what you have promised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.